Welcome to Central Baptist Church's Sermon Podcast. This program features the preaching and teaching of Corey Ramirez, the pastor of Central Baptist Church of Little Rock, Arkansas. In God's Word, you will find the encouragement needed for today. And now, here is Pastor Ramirez. We're going to be talking about God's love for you, God's love for you from 1 John chapter 3. And uh, to begin this, I want to just share um, an interesting story I read recently. The late D.L. Moody, the evangelist uh, in Chicago, he had a church in Chicago. He had heard across town at another church that there was going to be an, uh, he called him an unknown evangelist. He said it was just a, someone unknown, but he'd seen the, the uh, I guess say the announcement in the paper, how this evangelist was going to be talking about the love of God. He said for the next two weeks from John 3.16. And D.L. Moody, he read that, he thought, how can someone preach on that verse and on that subject for two weeks straight? Uh, and he said that he thought about that for several days, and he ended up going over there to listen uh, beginning of the Monday, the, the beginning of the conference, because he said more out of curiosity than anything else. He wanted to see if it was possible. Uh, he said by the end of two weeks, he felt not only did that man preach excellent messages on the love of God, he goes, but he probably could have kept going and going. Uh, he said the the love of God is just amazing. And when we read in the Bible of His love and what He's done for us, that encourages us as we live today. And today, I want to talk about uh, the love that God has or God's love for you. Uh, you know, that means if someone loves you, that means they care for you, right? If, if you're loved, someone cares for you, uh, they're concerned for you. If you love someone, you're concerned for them, their well-being. Uh, and it even means they'll correct you if necessary. Right? They're not going to be mean to you, but if, if you make a mistake, if you love someone, you're going to correct them. Parents, uh, if they love their children, they're going to discipline them. Uh, when we see parents who don't discipline their children, my thought is there, there's got to be a lack of love somewhere, or maybe selfishness, something's come up. That's why there's no love there. But today I want to talk about God's love for you. And I think we see it in the scriptures. It's clear. And give you some thoughts here. You know, in verse uh, chapter 3, verse 1 of 1 John, we find what I would call a unique relationship that we have once you're saved. And that is you're brought into God's family. All right? And he refers to the fact that we are uh, children of God, that we belong to him. And, he, and the way he phrases this is interesting where he says, what manner of love is this? It's almost, he's saying how... how great is this how amazing is this that god would call us into his family and that god would treat us as children his children you see that's a unique relationship uh, for example you know if you have children and you go into town and you travel and you see other children disobeying or doing things unless they're going to hurt themselves you're probably not going to step in right you just the parents got to take care of that but if it's your child doing that, then you're going to step in. You're going to do something. Uh, I read the story of a man who said that he was driving down the street one evening after work, and he looked over and he saw several boys breaking a window and they taking off running. He said the first thought that went to his, through his mind was, wow, isn't it sad that children are acting that way? He looked a little closer and recognized one of them as being his son. He said then a little bit of anger came up, and he said, I'm going to deal with that when I get home. And he said by the time he got home, the anger had come down a little bit, but he dealt with it. You see, when it's your child, then there's something different there. That's the relationship we have with God is we're his children. We belong to him. And so this morning, I want to talk about the love that God has for us. Now, let me just clarify a few things. So as we go forward, we know what we're talking about. In the Greek language, 
there were three words used for love uh, that they would use in the Greek language during the time of Christ and during the time that the scriptures were written. Uh, the first word is eros. Uh, I guess the closest thing we would have today would be lust. That's the closest thing we would have in our English language would be lust. Uh, let me just point this out to you. Every single time you read of love in the New Testament, this word is not it. This word is not found in the Greek New Testament. All right, so when we read of love, we're not talking about a lust. Uh, we're not talking about that kind of love. The second love that they talked about was the word uh, philo, or where we get Philadelphia from. And that word is referring to like a brotherly love or what we call a love for country, patriotism, a love between grandparents, grandchildren, that, that type of love. Uh, and then you have what this word here is, which is agape. That's what we would call the divine love. That's, that's a love that you'll find throughout the New Testament mentioned. Uh, and that's a love that acts. That's a love that chooses. Uh, that's a love that some would say chooses its object. It chooses to love. Uh, that's the kind of love that this is. So this morning, as we go forward, there's no way I can perfectly describe God's love for you, but I hope to encourage you with three thoughts. And the first one is, uh, because of God's love, you can be redeemed. Okay, you can be redeemed. And let's go back to First John chapter 3 this morning. And notice here, it says, Behold, what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us, that we should be called the sons of God. Therefore the world knoweth us not, because it knew him not. Okay, you can be redeemed. Now, to be a child of God, or to be a son of God, or a daughter of God, a child of God, you have to, you have to be redeemed. That's what I want to start with, redeemed. Now, in the Bible, you'll find that word redemption mentioned throughout. Redemption, redeemed, redeem. Uh, what it means, it means up to, it means to, to rescue or to purchase, to purchase something, to buy up. Um, let's go over to Galatians chapter 4. Let's, uh, as you're heading that way, let me give you some thoughts here on this word of redemption or being redeemed. It means to purchase something, it means to buy something, but there's more to it. It also means to buy something with the intent of taking it out. Uh, in other words, uh, have you ever went to a store and purchased something and left it there? I've been guilty of that, getting the car. Unfortunately, I think I made it home before and realized, oh, you know, I left it there. Uh, yeah, I paid for it, but it didn't get to my house, so technically it really wasn't mine still. I didn't take it out. That's uh, The word redeemed not only replies something that has been purchased, but something that has been removed and something that has been uh, taken out. So Galatians chapter 4, uh, this morning, I want to begin reading in uh, verse 1, as soon as I get over there. Galatians chapter 4, verse 1 says, uh, Now I say... That the heir, as long as he is a child, differeth nothing from a servant, though he be lord of all. But is under tutors, governors, until the time appointed of the father. Even so, when we were children, we were in bondage under the elements of the world. But when the fullness of the time was come, God sent forth his son, made of a woman, made under the law, to redeem them that were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. And because ye are sons, God hath sent forth the spirit of his Son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Wherefore thou art no more a servant, but a son, and if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. You know, I wonder if John had this thought in mind. Now, it's Paul who wrote this. But when John, in 1 John 3, says, what manner of love is this? That God would redeem us out of sin and bring us into his family. Now, when you think about sin, the Bible tells us we've all sinned. All sin and come short of the glory of God. Uh, we find that in the book of Romans chapter 3, uh, from verse 23, for all sin and come short of the glory of God. Uh, what we find is we're all sinners. We've all sinned at some point in our life. Now, 
that sin is maybe different than someone else's. Uh, I wouldn't dare say that everyone has went out and killed somebody. But, you know, Jesus made it a little bit more personal when he said, you know, even if you thought hate against somebody, that's equivalent to killing someone. You see, he went inside the heart, the conduct of the heart. And so we've all sinned. You know, we admit we've been sinners. And so we're under sin. Ephesians chapter 2. If you have your Bibles, let me show you just real quick. Ephesians chapter 2, what it says here. And this here, in this passage here, he's writing to Christians. All right, let me point that out. He's writing to those who are already saved. And so here he's reminding them of how life was before they were saved. You ever look back and thought, man, I used to do this or do that. Before I was saved. Now that I'm saved, things have changed. And notice what he says here. He says in verse 1, And you hath he quickened, who were dead in trespasses and sins, where in time past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience. Let me just point out this to you. Before someone is saved, they're in the world. According to this verse, they're under the power of the prince of the power of the air, which is the devil, and they're not with God, alright? They're they're not with God, they're not saved, they belong to the world. And what we find is once someone is saved, they're redeemed. God has brought them into his family. Uh, Now to be redeemed means that you have been purchased. And you say, what have I purchased from? Galatians chapter, Romans chapter 6 verse 23 says, for the wages of sin is death. Uh, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. If you're saved here this morning, you've been purchased from death. Is what's happened. You've been, you've been pulled out of sin and the world and the devil and brought into God's family. Now you think about that. That's how much God loves you. When he sent his son, he sent his son so you could be redeemed. You could be brought out from the power of the devil. Brought out from under the power of the world so that way you could live unto him. Someone pointed out, you're not going to find any guilty sinners in God's family. You're going to find forgiven sinners in God's family. And that's what it is. We're all sinners. We make mistakes still. But we're forgiven because of Jesus Christ. We're not guilty. That guilt is no longer over us or hanging over us, so to speak. And and, and here's how this is done. Let's go to Hebrews chapter 9. I'll probably turn to more verses this morning, at least in this, this portion, just to develop this as we go forward. But Hebrews chapter 9 Let's see how God does this, or how He how He did this. Hebrews chapter nine, and, and I'll begin in verse twenty three here in just a moment. We're going to talk about the work of Christ now. See, this is how this is done. It's not done by. Well, let's put it this way: It's not done just because we want it done. It's not done because you go to church. It's not done because you have done good deeds. Notice it says in verse twenty three. It was therefore necessary that the pattern of things in heaven should be purified with these, that the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. For Christ is not entered into the holy places made with hands, which are the figures of the true, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God for us. Nor yet that he should offer himself often as the high priest entereth into the holy place every year with the blood of others. For then must he often have suffered since the foundation of the world. But now, once in the end of the world, hath he appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. Let me read that again. He hath appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. And as it is appointed unto man once to die, but after this the judgment. So Christ was once offered to bear the sins of many. And unto them that look for him shall he appear the second time without sin unto salvation. All right, here's how this is accomplished. It's accomplished through 
or was accomplished the work of Jesus Christ on the cross. Now notice it says here to put away sin. In the Greek language, that's one word, and it means to cancel or disannul. Cancel or disannul. In other words, if you're saved here this morning, God has canceled or disannulled your sin in your life. He made the payment, is what he did. He made the payment. It's ended now. You don't have to make that payment. It's disannulled. Christ has made that for you. He did that in himself. In other words, he took your place on the cross so you could be saved. Now you think about that for a moment. How much does God love you? You think of Christ hanging on that cross. He can't love you any more than that. He put his, he took his, laid his own life down so you could be saved. Now if you're here this morning, you're saved. You can rejoice in the love that God has shown you and the love that God has given you through being redeemed. Now the second thought I have here this morning is the fact that he's restored what we call fellowship with sinners is what he's done. You know, back in the Garden of Eden, I wasn't there, I'm not that old, but uh, getting older. Back in the Garden of Eden, we, we know that Adam and Eve sinned. That's where it began. That's where sin came into the world. Folks, the world hasn't been the same since. You know, the problems that we deal with today are there because of sin. That's, that's what we find. All the way up to death even is there because of sin. Our greatest enemy, death, is there because of sin. So in a sense, when you think about it, sin is, is terrible and it's wrecked havoc in this world and it's still out there. But we find, the Bible tells us, that God has restored sinners to Him. That's how much He loves them. And, and let me give you a thought on this. Before someone is saved, they're at odds with God. Let's go to Romans chapter 5. I'm going to show you something here. Romans chapter 5, verse 1. Romans 5, verse 1. And as you're heading that direction, here's something I, I want to really just hope we understand this. If someone is not right with God through Jesus Christ, in other words, they're not saved, everything's not well for them. Everything is not good. Because they're not right with their Creator. They're not right with God. Well, they may be doing well in this world, but spiritually, they're heading for an eternity without God. So it's not good. And actually, in this world, they're still opposed to God. Notice what it says in Romans chapter 5. It says, verse 1, Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ by whom also we have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. And not only so, but we glory in tribulation also, knowing that tribulation worketh patience, patience experience, experience hope. Hope maketh not ashamed because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost which is given to us. Let's go back to that verse, first one there. It says, justified by faith we have peace with God. Now, this implies, really indicates, that if you're not justified, then you don't have peace with God. All right? To, to reconcile, or, or to, as it says here, be reconciled, means you have to have two parties that are at odds, that are against each other. Now, I think we can understand that. You know, there's unfortunately wars in our world. You have two countries uh, going at it sometimes. Well, we also have turmoil even within families, right? The families can have problems and go at it sometimes. So we understand there has to be, for peace to be needed, there has to be two parties that are at odds. Well, in this case, the Bible is telling us here that God is on one side and sinners are on the other, and it's Christ who has reconciled the two. 
But until you're reconciled by Jesus Christ, you're still opposed to him. See, that's the, the important thing we have to share with the world. And the important thing we need to understand, that if you're not saved here this morning, then you're opposed to God. Then you're on the opposite side of God. And that's not a place anyone should want to be when you begin to consider who they're opposing and the future that that holds. Now, we find in this passage that Christ is the one who reconciles. He brings peace. He brings us together. And because of that, it says here that we are justified. Justified. Now, that word justified, uh, justified, uh, comes through Jesus Christ. And the word means to be rendered clean, to be rendered innocent, uh, to be rendered free. Someone uh, who was clever with words put it this way, justified, just if I had never sinned, is almost the thought there. Uh, that's how it is you're standing before God. If you're saved, you're justified before God. You say, well, pastor, I still make mistakes. Well, you might make some mistakes, but you've been forgiven. And your standing before God is justified. You're forgiven. By the way, that gives you peace as we go through this world. Not that we want to make mistakes, but we know that God's forgiven us already. And God has loved us and brought us into his family. You know, that's something else to always consider here. We're talking about family here. What manner of love is this? That God should call us the sons of God or daughters of God or, or his children. You know, when you're brought into a family, there's love there, correct? There's mistakes too, right? There's mistakes. I have two brothers. I think I've shared that before. I'm the perfect one because I'm here. They're not here. You know, we've made our share of mistakes, but we still love each other. We'll still talk to each other. We might not agree on everything, but we're family. There's that tie that we have. Well, it's the same with God. Not that this encourages us to sin. By the way, once you're saved, you should have a, a change in your heart. That love is going to draw you to Him. But you live knowing that you've been forgiven now. That God's forgiven you of your sin. You have been restored to Him the way He intended it from the beginning. You know, you go back to the garden. We talked about Adam and Eve. When God created Adam and He created Eve and brought them together, you know, the intention was for them to fellowship with Him. Right there. But sin broke that. Once you're saved, you are now restored. You're brought into the fellowship that God intended for you to have. That's all due to His love. You see, He acted. He loves you. And because of that, you can now fellowship with God. Now, let's consider the fellowship that you can now have with God. You know, you can talk to God because of Christ. You can talk to God today. You can pray to Him. You can talk to Him. You, can, you don't have to wait till certain hours when the church is opened. You can talk to God because of Jesus Christ. And it says here, as far as peace, you know, Romans 5 verse 1 talks about the peace of God that we now have. You know, peace comes from Christ's work on the cross. That, that's what reconciles us. And because God sent His Son, we can be restored. Now let's move on here. Let's talk about the third one. Let's go back to 1 John chapter 3. 1 John chapter 3. Let me read this verse here and give you some thoughts on this last one here. 1 John chapter 3 says, Behold what manner of love the Father hath bestowed. Now bestow to give to you, to put upon you, upon us, that we should be called the sons of God. Therefore the world knoweth us not, because it knew him not. Okay, now he says here to be called the sons of God. You know what God has done in his love? is He's received you into his family is what he's done. He's received you into his family. Now, to be a child of God, you have to have a correct relationship with Him. There has to be peace, which we've talked about. 
a reconciliation with God, uh, which we find accomplished in Romans 5, verse 1. But as far as receiving you into his family, it's a permanent position. All right, God's brought you in, and you now belong to him. This is not simply a case of waking up one day and saying, I'm going to be part of God's family. Jesus Christ has enabled you to be part of his family, part of God's family. And that's through his work on the cross. Uh, Through Jesus Christ, you can have what we call full adoption. You know, Romans 8, we read that earlier. Uh, Let's go back to Romans 8. Uh, I think I had you turn there earlier. but Let's go back and I'll point something else out to you from the book of Romans. Actually, I was in a different part of Romans, but I want to read Romans 8 to you and then go back to this other section first. But let's look at what it says in Romans uh, chapter 8, verse 14. He says here, uh, verse 14, or verse 12 says, Therefore, brethren, we are debtors not to the flesh uh, to live after the flesh. For if we live after the flesh, ye shall die. But if ye through the Spirit uh, do mortify the deeds of the body, ye shall live. For as many are as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. So if you're led by the Spirit of God, you're a child of God. And then we go back to Romans uh, chapter 5. Or Romans chapter 5. We uh, read that as far as the work of Christ in our hearts. And notice what it says in verse 5. And hope maketh not ashamed, because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost, which is uh, given unto us. What we find, the Bible teaches that once you're saved, okay, once you receive Christ as your Savior, that there's a change that takes place. A change that takes place. And that change occurs within the heart. And it's the work of the Holy Spirit. And not only do you are you cleansed, obviously, the Titus chapter 3, verse 5 talks about the cleansing, the regenerating of the Holy Spirit. But also God brings His love into your heart, is what He does. He brings His love into your heart because... The love of God is shed abroad in your hearts. In other words, you are now a child of God. You're going to act like a child of God. You're not going to have to work that up. It's not something you're going to have to wake up and say, well, how do I act like a child of God? Now, there are things we have to make commitments to and do, but it's going to be a work of the Holy Spirit in your life. He's going to begin working in your heart to draw you to Him and to, to teach you and to direct you and to guide you because you're a child of God. You know, it's interesting as far as illustration wise here this morning. It's interesting how, you know, uh, you can tell family members, you know, through the years. I I read a story, and I could relate to this because it's something I think I could see in our family, but a a story of a man who, he went to Italy. He wanted to go back and find where his roots came from. Uh, He had been one generation away. Uh, His parents had come uh, over from America, and so he traveled over to Italy, him and his wife, and he, he got there and he went to this small village where he knew his family had come from. And he said he sat there and he looked and he saw this man walking down the street and he said, that's got to be one of my relatives. And his wife said, how can you be so sure? He said, he walks just like my dad. And come to find out it was. It was a relative, one of his like dad's uncles or his dad's nephews or nieces. But the thing being is it's interesting how that happens. We have those traits that we have. And when you're a child of God, you're going to have those traits too. 
that's the thought there. You see that the love of God is shed abroad in your heart, and those traits are going to start coming out because you've been received into His family. Now, as far as being received into God's family, it's a permanent position. All right, you can't be kicked out of God's family. That's something I want you to think about. Here's something to consider: you can search the Scriptures; you're not going to find an example of someone being kicked out of God's family. Think about that. You're just not going to find it. We don't find an example of that. We find examples of, of those who've sinned, those who are not in God's family, those who've made mistakes. You're not going to find an example of someone kicked out of God's family. Because God's the one who keeps you. You're in His family. Alright, you belong to Him. You know, it's interesting how that works even today. You know, you can get upset at someone. They can change their name. You can almost even disown them. But you know what? They're still part of that family as far as their bloodline and who they are. They're part of that family. They can't change that. Well, it's the same once you're saved. That should assure you or give you assurance of salvation. That once you're brought into God's family, you're there. You you belong to God. And God's not going to remove you. Now, He may deal with you if you choose to be stubborn at times or choose to do your own thing or, or live after the flesh like He did Jonah. In the Old Testament, that's an excellent example. He dealt with Jonah and brought him back. God will do the same with us, but you now belong to Him. And because of that, you can enjoy what we call the full inheritance of your relationship with Christ. And, and this morning, I want to turn over to one more verse, and then I'm going to give you some things on how we can develop this year. First Peter chapter 1, and I want you to notice what we find in this passage here. First Peter chapter 1, verse 3 says, I'll wait till you get there. First, first Peter chapter 1. And it says in verse 3, uh, Blessed be God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to His abundant mercy hath begotten us again into a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. You know what you find? Let me just stop here for one sec. All the way through Scriptures in the New Testament, you find Jesus Christ being the reason. Do you not? He's the reason for our lively hope. He's the reason for God's love in our heart. He's the reason for life. Jesus Christ is the answer to everything because of His work on the cross. And then it says here uh, in verse 4, "...to an inheritance incorruptible, undefiled, that fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for you." Verse 5, "...who are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time." You know, what we have here in this passage tells us as believers... Once you received Christ as your Savior, that you have what's called an inheritance waiting for you. An inheritance. You know, growing up, I always thought, man, it'd be neat if I had a really wealthy uncle. Someone far away who I didn't know left me an inheritance. I'm still waiting. I don't have one. So, But you know, you have a heavenly father who's got an inheritance waiting for you. I have one up in heaven. And as far as this inheritance, notice he says it's incorruptible. It means it's everlasting. Uh, a greatness form. It's undefiled. That means it's pure and without blemish. By the way, we can't understand that until we get to heaven because everything on earth is, is tainted with sin of some sort. And so when we get to heaven, we're going to really understand what undefiled is when we stand before our Lord and Savior and, and see purity. Uh, it says, inheritance that fadeth not away. Fadeth not away. That's eternal, loved ones, forever. You know, everything in this world fades away at some point. It, it just fades away. You know, uh, this afternoon there's some kind of game on, I believe, right? Some kind of game. And by the way, I, I had to convince my boys, I didn't plan this dinner last year with the, the game this afternoon in mind where there's no evening service. I really didn't. Uh, but they're happy it ended up that way, I think. So, uh, But there's a game on this afternoon. You know what's interesting when you watch that game? Well, for those who are interested in football, you may watch it and enjoy it. I find it interesting how the teams 
might even be named the same, but the players are different from when I was a kid. The players are probably different from when you watched it years back. 20 years from now, the players are going to be different. See, even people begin to change. We live in a world where nothing stays the same and everything fades away. You know, uh, the Bible does not teach evolution, by the way. Evolution says everything's getting better. The Bible teaches the reality and that says everything fades. You know, you could build a building and you could do a great job at it. But you can't keep it perfect, right? You just can't. Uh, you purchase a house, you can build it and have it brand new. But in 10 years, there's going to be some things, some issues that come up. Why? Because we live in a world that, you know, things fade away. And I'm not going to get into the science of that this morning, but we, we understand that's there. Bible teaches that. Everything fadeth away. But you know what? Your inheritance in heaven does not fade away. That means it's going to be new a thousand years as it was the first day you went into heaven. It's going to be brand new in a million years. It, it won't fade away. It, it'll never lose its luster. That's another thought, too, on that. When we get to heaven, I don't think we're going to get bored. We're not going to say, oh, man, I'm going to leave this place. No, we're, we're just, it's never going to happen. That's something God has reserved for us, and it will never fade away. And the Bible says it's reserved. In other words, it's set aside for you. You know, people make reservations because they want to intend on going there. Well, Christ has made a place reserved for you. If you're saved here this morning, that's how much He loves you and cares for you. He's got a place waiting for you, reserved in heaven. And where something is reserved, if you reserve something, you reserve it because you plan on someone arriving, right? You don't reserve something for someone who's not going to arrive. And that's God's plan for you. He's going to keep you and take you there. And that leads us into that final thought that Peter had there, that the believer is kept by the power of God. In other words, it's not our works... It's not our good deeds. It's God who keeps us after we're saved. Isn't that a wonderful thought, the love of God? That not only does He save you, but He'll make sure you stay saved. Because you know what? We're sinners. If we had to keep it ourselves, we, we would be in trouble, right? I mean, I, I'll be the first to tell you. I'll probably lost it within a... You know, I was saved when I was young. Praise the Lord for that. But I know I've made a lot of mistakes since then. And if it was up to me to keep my salvation, I would have lost it immediately. I wouldn't have it today. It's God who keeps us. He preserves us, and He'll keep us. And Peter here says, "Till the day we're revealed, our salvation will be revealed." Now, the thought on that is not that that you got to, you know, that you could lose it. The thought there is that you have it today, but when you get into heaven, it's going to be fully revealed, complete, and finished. Oh, it's it's good today, but when we get to heaven, it's going to be done because we'll no longer be on earth. We'll be with the Lord, and we'll be in heaven. You know, God loves you. That, that's the thought here. God loves you. Let me go back. First John chapter 3, verse 1. What manner of love is this? What manner of love is this? It's almost as if John has stepped back and said, Can you believe that God would love us this much? Could you believe that He'd love us enough to redeem us, to send His Son to die on the cross? This morning, could you imagine that? That God loves you enough to send His Son to die on the cross. Now, I do believe that... that here's how I believe on salvation. I believe that salvation is open to anybody. I do. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. You can't explain that away. Some have tried to. But God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. John 3.16 You see, God's love extends to this entire world. The entire world. And that's the message we should share with everyone. Family members, friends, even strangers. That God loves them. You know, God loves this world. God loves this entire world. And God sent His Son to die on the cross of this world. Now, as far as salvation itself, it only comes to those who 
believe on Jesus Christ, who receive Christ as their Savior. See, that's the message we have. It's, it's available. But only to those who receive. Those who reject, those who put it off for another day, they don't have this. They won't have a relationship with God. See, God's provided the way. And that's God's love. God looked down upon a sinful world heading for an eternity without Him and said, I'm going to take care of this. They've messed it up, but I'm going to take care of it. And I'm going to provide a way for everyone to be saved. You know, there's going to be no excuses in heaven when people stand before God. There is a way to be saved. This morning, I hope and pray that you have received Christ as your Savior. See, that's the love that God has for us. That's simple, understanding you've sinned against God. And once you come to that understanding, then you recognize that God sent His Son so that you could be saved. So you can receive Him as your Savior. Took your place on the cross. Paid the price for sin. So that way you don't have to. You receive the payment that's made. You receive... Christ is your Savior. It's like going to the bank and just having that stamp come down. Paid in full. It's done. It's complete. It's finished. Once you're saved, you receive Christ as your Savior. You belong to God. And that's the love we have of God as far as being redeemed and then received. Not only did He pull us out of the world, but He also brought us into His family. He restored fellowship, received us, and has given us a place with Him. What manner of love is this? It's amazing that God would love us like this. You know, a few thoughts here to, to wrap this up as far as God's love. How can we show our love for God? Now, let me, let me kind of flip this, the other side. I think it's clear God's loved us. I think it's clear God has shown the world that He's loved the world. You know, that, that word love is referring to action. Love that chooses. How can you show your love for God? John 14 verse 15 says, If you love me, Keep my commandments. If you love me, keep my commandments. That's almost a, a test of love, really. If we love God, we need to obey Him. Now, the first commandment, I think, or the first direction for anyone is to be saved, to receive Christ as your Savior. But then afterwards, you know, the Lord wants us to abide with Him. He wants us to walk with Him. And that, that love will come into our heart and be shed abroad in our hearts. Now, here's something that's interesting that I have found in life, and maybe some of you have seen it too. I have found it with myself. When I'm not right with God, I'm not talking about being saved. We're talking if you're saved here this morning. When I'm not right with God, and my love for Him is not there because it's I've chosen to look to other things or to do other things, not necessarily, not necessarily sin, just distractions and other things. I've noticed my other relationships in my life are also off. It's because God should be first in our life and that love for Him. When we have that love for Him and we act upon that, in other words, keep in mind, you know, if you love, that's that agape word again. He said, if you choose to love God, obey His commandments. When we begin to seek after the Lord and live unto Him, then all of a sudden, it's not emotions. It's a love for God that's there. And that love for God will begin working in your heart. And then the other relationships in your life, not saying circumstances won't change or times will be easy, but then all of a sudden, there's it's going to carry over into your other relationships. That love for God is going to help with other things. For example, I'll just give a, you know, we're having a loved one another Sunday. We have Valentine's Day coming up. You know, the Bible tells us, gives us a lot of direction concerning our marriage relationships for those that are married. Uh, and as far as Ephesians 5, we find those. Uh, and in that chapter, we find, you know, actually it talks about both being submissive to the other. 
not just the wife to the husband, but it talks about submit yourselves one to another in that passage. And then it talks about the wife submitting the leadership of the husband in the home. And then the husband, of course, the role of loving his wife. The husband's to love his wife. Well, you know, when we have our heart set on God and we're loving the Lord, seeing the Lord, that's going to carry over into those other relationships. It's going to carry over into our marriage relationship. That's what's going to happen. What's going to happen is we're going to, well, let's put it this way, if we're going to obey God, that includes that direction too, as far as the relationship within the home. We're going to seek to carry that out, and that's going to affect our marriage relationship. So what we want to do is make sure we're right with God first, all right? Make sure you're saved. And then make sure that after you're saved that you're walking with the Lord, seeking to, to do His will. And then obviously, doing His will is going to be carrying out your other responsibilities correctly. See, you see how it just kind of branches out? It all begins with God's love for you. And then it's turned into your love for God. And then after your love for God, you love Him. It's going to affect all, everything else in your life. So this morning, if, if there's someone here who's having a, an issue maybe in a relationship, uh, whether it's marriage or even family in, in general, children or siblings, you can have things that are off, then encourage you to examine your heart first. It may, it may be the other person. I'm not saying it is. We don't know. Each situation is different. But do your diligence to make sure you're right with God. Make sure you're walking with the Lord. And then trust God will take care of everything else. It's, it's interesting how the Lord works and how that happens. And then God begins to work. And so this morning in closing, you know, God loves us. God loves you. He loved you enough to die on the cross for your sin. He loves you enough to guide and direct your life. He loves you enough to make a place in heaven for you. You've been listening to the preaching of Pastor Ramirez of Central Baptist Church of Little Rock, Arkansas. We hope today's message encouraged you. If you would like more information about Pastor Ramirez or Central Baptist Church, please visit our website, centralbaptistchurch.org. Thank you for listening today. Be sure to join us again for another message from God's Word.